Okay, so we'll start with a brief introduction, go into the background of Owls Americas, the group, of course. So we'll talk about the podcast, why a podcast, our statement of purpose. We'll go into the major storylines. I know there's not a lot going on because it's the international. Is someone dialing in? I thought we had every, yeah, whatever. Hello? This is uh, Brian, your USAL. Uh, how's it going? I got a, a big praise for uh, the Wednesday boys today. Uh, Brian, I mean, I'll, I'll let you go, but this isn't praise or grumble uh, or football heaven. This is the Owls you, Americast. It's praise, it's uh, praise or grumble time. What do you mean? What is Owls America? Oh, Owls America. The USA Owls. Well, Brian, uh, I hate to cut you off, but we do have a podcast to record. But thanks for calling in with your praise for Sheffield Wednesday. All right. Up the L's and uh, up the USA L's as well. Welcome to the Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday opinion with an American accent. And this is the only time I will say this incredibly clunky but SEO-friendly full title on this show. Welcome to the pilot edition of the Owls AmeriCast, a Sheffield Wednesday podcast by a bunch of American soccer know-nothings. I'm your host in Connecticut, Jeffrey Paternostro, my regular co-host in Ohio, very upset he is missing out on a actual American sport like baseball. He's a big Cleveland Indians fan, Evan Skilleter. We are both members of the Owls America's supporter groups, and now we're starting a podcast I guess as a way to introduce the show, Evan, this is a question that I know you've probably been asked a million times. It's one that comes up for me every time I talk about soccer with anyone in a bar, whether uh, American or expat. How did you become a Sheffield Wednesday fan? Yeah, it, it goes way back to uh, to when I was little. My, my grandmother used to read me a book about owls. Uh, I can't remember the title. I can't remember the premise. I just know it was about owls. And I became fascinated with owls because I had never seen one. They were always up in the night, and uh, I was always sleeping. So uh, I was fascinated with owls. And then I started playing FIFA maybe 96, 97, 98, one of those games in there. Sega Genesis? Um, <laughs> I, I think it was just the first PlayStation. Um, I can't remember specifically, but um, I found Sheffield Wednesday. I saw their, their logo and their crest and, and decided that was the team that uh, I wanted to play with every time I was on. And so I played with them when I, and this is, I mean, I'm telling you, I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. And then when they fell out of the premier league, I really had no idea how to follow them as a young kid. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until high school that I, I started to keep up with their scores when they were, I believe they were down in, in this, third division or, or you know league one the public and yeah the public right that's what it felt like and i kept up with their scores but there was nothing too exciting to get back into um i, I played with them every now and then on a fifa career mode and tried to take them up to the premier league and even that was incredibly difficult to do and so then when i was in college i started following them a little bit more closely and getting a little more excited and then on a trip to iceland um I sat in a pub next to a fellow from Sheffield and he was there on a pharmaceutical sales trip and he was a big, he was a big Wednesday supporter. And I told him about my background and he introduced me to, um, what was, uh, what was it called? The, the app where you could follow the team before I follow. It was only last year. See Sheffield Wednesday uh, player player. Yeah. Wednesday player. He introduced me to that and, and I started to listen to every match and that was actually during the League One promotion to the championship season, so 2011 or 12, and I was super excited about it, and and ever since then have followed even more closely, and I've been very passionate. I've listened or watched to just about every match since. My story is not all that different, although I'm a little bit older than you. Um, when I was eight or nine, the local sort of regional cable station pre like Fox sports and all those things had a first division recap show on weekends that I would watch in the morning before, like, I don't even know, saved by the bell or that stuff. 
So the the obvious like connection here is a is a young American. There was actually a, a winger on his youth soccer team as well because I was I was short and fast basically. You think there'd be a John Harks connection there, uh, mm-hmm. but not really because it was a highlight show. So all I saw was a bunch of like crazy David Hurst goals. That has brought me here, and we'll be your two regular hosts because our overlords at Owl of Americas have decided they need American voices hosting this show. But to give you some <laughs> to give you some background on the group, we have one of our expats and a board member of Owls Americas because we're official like that. James Allen on the show as well. So James, do you have a brief uh, overview history of the uh, supporter group? Hey guys, I'm uh, so I'm in Boston tonight. I kind of feel that's appropriate. I feel like someone's going to ride past in a second. It's going to be Paul Revere shouting, "The Brit- British are coming! The British are coming!" <laughs> Um, yeah, I apologize for the fact that I'm blatantly not American. Um, yes, but, but, yeah, we, but uh, your, your American history is spot on already. Yes, We're already yes, very yeah. impressed. It's, uh, I'm in the cradle of the revolution. How could I, uh, how could I not pay, uh, pay homage to our independence? Um, sorry, did I say our, yours? Um, um, but yeah, here we are. We're Al's Americas and, uh, and you guys are the, the Americas side of that. Um, I've got to be honest. I've never, I've, I've spoken to so many Sheffield Wednesday fans over the years. I don't remember anybody ever introducing their, their kind of how I became a Wednesday fan, uh, story with the fact that they were just a big fan of owls. That's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Most of us back home kind of were just basically, it was beaten into us by some, uh, some kind of malevolent parent who, uh, who had suffered at the hands of Sheffield Wednesday for 30 years or so. Um, so it's nice to speak to people who are actually genuinely interested in the club. And, and Jeff, how you found us in 1991 without the internet, without FIFA is, is still a mystery to me. It really is. Well, I did have like the dark years after the, I think the show ran for four or five seasons, you know, just while they were actually good uh, and actually in the top division. And then by the time I got to college, I got like high speed internet back and could follow it on their janky 2000s era website a little bit. But it wasn't really until, you know, better streaming services like in the mid 2000s, they would pop up on the early incarnations of ESPN three every once in a while and their yo-yo, their first sort of yo-yo back up to the championship. I remember a particularly bad game where I came home from work and I got really excited because they had a game against Watford at like it was 2:45 kickoff. I couldn't watch it, but like as soon as I get home, I'm gonna sit down, watch it. I'm not gonna check out on the end. I'm not gonna see any spoilers. They ended up losing like four one. After they went down two nothing, I just like went online and checked. I'm like, yeah, I'm not watching the rest of this. <laughs> this is a terrible idea. And therein is a perfect expose of why you are genuine Wednesday arts because you've uh, you've you realised that it's more down than up, right? So, uh, and the mid two thousands actually is a great place to start with the story of Al's Americas because that was uh, that was probably there's a bit of contention about this, and and one of our other uh, contributors, Patrick, is going to uh, talk about this in a few minutes' time about where where this all really started. But he's going to be very upset you for, call him Patrick too, and I, I did that deliberately to spike him. Um, where where did this all start? Is you know. Sheffield Wednesday fans across uh, the U- United States of America started get together to watch games, and and one in- group in particular in New York kind of got together late two thousand, started watching, but but nothing really took off until I think a little bit around two thousand eleven to two thousand twelve when. Uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, of Patrick Jones uh, arrived in New York City, and um, I, either just through lack of friends or or lack of, of anything uh, worthwhile to do, decided he was going to spend his time in a basement cellar bar and uh, and watch uh, watch Sheffield Wednesday games on the rare occasion that we were on Sky Sports in the UK uh, on uh, on satellite in the US, and uh, and started to form a group called the New York House, which over the course of the certainly the five six years that I've been in New York has has kind of grown to to the point where we have. 30, 40 people down for, for the big matches. Um, other groups have gr- grown up. That, that group I mentioned in the late 2000s migrated to New Orleans. We have um, we've had branches grow up in, in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, in, uh, in Brazil, in Sao Paulo. And so this summer we, uh, we decided that that was, that was kind of too much not to, to try and connect and, and create a, an umbrella group to coordinate all of the folks across the Americas um, who have, have got a passion for Sheffield Wednesday. And more than anything, we want to make that about the folks like you and Evan, Jeff, that, um, that are not expats and don't have uh, just kind of sarcasm riddled through their body and actually uh, have a, a really optimistic view of, uh, of what the club can be. So Owls Americas is all about bringing those folks together. And I know I want the podcast to be sort of a, there's some cross-cultural pollination. So we'll have some stuff on American soccer and some of our Yorkshireites giving us insight into sort of the, the Sheffield Wednesday 
culture terms, glossary type things like that, uh, that the American fans we want to recruit. Because really, it's it's trust me, it's absolutely it's way more fun to be a Sheffield Wednesday fan than an Arsenal fan. I say that as someone that follows way too many of them on Twitter. I didn't know there were any Arsenal fans on Twitter. I thought they'd all abandoned it in the on the basis that everything is doom and gloom and Arsene Wenger. And the other nice thing about starting the podcast now, I mean, I know it's the middle of the season and it's international break, but is that we can actually watch all the games now uh, with the iFollow app that Evan alluded to earlier. Um, every single game gets streamed to my phone or my computer or my TV and for the, what is the low, low price of $140 a year or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that I'm extremely grateful for. Uh, I know that there's been a, a lot of grumbles um, from, from some of the American fans that uh, subscribe to it because it's only one camera. There's no audio commentary. It's just one camera following the ball all around the pitch. But to be honest with you, that's that's better than I've had for the duration of my uh, Wednesday experience. And so I, I couldn't be more excited to be able to watch uh, to watch the club each match. You will actually see Wednesday score goals as opposed to hearing commentary from the Doncaster game <laughs> that they're breaking exactly. into on Radio yeah. Sheffield. Yeah, that's exactly right. Just think, I, I think you guys don't realize just how lucky you are. You know, there was a very fine moment there that if you'd been really interested in having red and white hoops on your shirt and um, a mascot that is, I've got absolutely no bloody idea what the Doncaster mascot is, in honest, you could have been a Doncaster Rovers fan. I mean, you know, that, that, that life turn could have been very abject. So, uh, the so things have question, taken a, like a the, one, the one standard I really would have used is do they have an Adidas kit? Sadly not, otherwise they'd clearly be on the verge of promotion to the Premiership right now. <laughs> yeah, I believe they're Nike, actually. Doncaster. I only know that from FIFA. So I think know. it's well documented, and all Wednesday fans will wholeheartedly agree with this. That it's much, much better not to have a branded shirt. We will get to that later in the show. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That is on the agenda. But we will actually try to provide some level of analysis, and we will bring on our good friend and New York Owls overlord Patty Jones at this point. Patty, how are you doing? Hello. How you doing? I thought you were freezing me out for a second there. I thought no, no one was going to actually introduce me. No, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you in. I, no I, one, I have some experience no one really, doing this, Patty. Yeah, no one really wanted to introduce you, but it's I part know, of the agenda. Like, so You guys can rattle on forever. It's, uh, honestly, it's a great start. And uh, thanks uh, for having us. Uh, I am Paddy Jones. Uh, I started uh, New York Owls a few years ago, five years ago. Are, are you sure that's Paddy and not Patrick? Just to it be is. Fair. I don't know where that's come from, James. We're not on a formal basis, but it's definitely Paddy Jones. Um my mother calls me Patch still, so don't call me Patch, please. Um, Paddy Jones it is. Um, basically, we started New York Owls five and a half years ago, and like James said, uh, we decided to uh, crack on with an Owls America's uh, um, supporter group, Umbrella. And I think uh, the reason we started this podcast is really because we can now watch every single game, like I said, on iFollow. So we actually have some uh, opinions we'd like to kind of get off his chest, I suppose, and we've got actually watched quite a lot of games now. So... Uh, it's not just uh, bleary-eyed uh, once a month in the in the pub. Uh, we can actually watch it uh, in bed. We can watch it uh, on the go. We can well, mainly it is bleary-eyed in the pub, isn't it? Still, I'm not sure if I'm saying that. It's mainly bleary-eyed in the pub still. I think we need to be quite clear that most of uh, the games we watch, whether we're in the pub or at home, are still bleary-eyed and still relatively drunk. True. Yeah. Okay. So these uh, opinions will be mainly through a uh, booze-tinted glasses. Uh, but then again, which Wednesday fan can say that opinions don't come out very well sober? Um, so I Talking think, of which, uh, Evan, can we, can we just confirm whether or not Evan has a fireball in hand right now? Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, it, it's funny you ask. I've just been texting my wife. I just ran out of my first glass, and uh, the beer has been chilling. So I just asked her to come refill the glass and bring me a beer, which, to be wow. fair, is not something I, I generally do. She's a, she's very sweet. Um, and she, she's a wonderful woman and I don't treat her like that generally, but this is, this is an exception. Um, so I will go into your life early on Evan, in the podcast. People yeah. already know. <laughs> I texted my wife that right now I would get a response that I could not repeat on the podcast because we're trying <laughs> well, to keep it PG. Yeah, we had to go back and forth for a bit, but, um, <laughs> eventually she'll be in here. So yes, I'll be into my second glass of fireball here in a minute. Okay, and uh, what are you drinking, James? Let's get the drinks out of the way. 
I um, I'm up in Boston on business, so I've I've had to go and find a couple of local breweries. So I'm drinking um, I'm drinking something by the the Cambridge Brewing Company actually called uh, Vive Brussels or, or Bruxelles, I suppose. But my my European accent is as bad as my American accent, uh, which is a barrel fermented sour red ale, and it's very nice. I've got to say. Jeff, what elaborate cocktail are you got on your desk today? I am drinking Polar Blackberry Citron Seltzer. That sounds awful. <laughs> I just went up there winter, I'm a proper New Englander. I drink Polar. I don't know that LaCroix crap. I don't know what that means. I've got a Diet Coke, by the way. <laughs> there is no actual alcohol in this, though. But I did have a local IPA earlier when I was picking up dinner. Which I Shall we talk about Sheffield Wednesday for a bit? Yes, it's the... Uh, <laughs> It's right in the title of the podcast, so it's something we should probably do. We are in the international break. Wednesday are anchored in the mid-table, 16 points from 11 games, 4 points off a playoff spot, and the Moners are out. So we will start with this simple question. It's been contentious, I know, within our New York Owls WhatsApp group, and it seems to be the constant refrain on Wednesday Twitter. Carlos Carvajal, in or out? Uh, sorry, yeah, my, my wife actually just arrived into the room. So. <laughs> That's way more important. Take care of that. Hey, Ask Rachel. Rachel, she wants Rachel. Right into the microphone. Carlos, in or out? Go, go ahead. Can I answer your question? Yes, please. In. In, yeah. in says Rachel. Thank you. Rachel. Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm refilled and ready to go. <laughs> this, is, this is a tough, a tough, yeah, tough but what, question. What, what are you drinking, though, Evan? Yeah, so Fireball as well as Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Um, yes, at the same time, you can judge all you would like. Uh, both are very tasty, and both will make me feel better when the Indians game comes on here in a bit. So, Carlos in or out? I originally, after uh, the the Derby debacle, I said Carlos out. I hate to go back and forth based on results. I think that. You know, yes, we we had a, a great match against Leeds, but it, at this point, I'll still say out. I, I still think uh, we need we need a bit of a change. If we continued with Carlos and we continue to play the way we can against, excuse me, the way we did against Leeds, then I'm happy to keep him around. But I hate to be the one that goes back and forth just based on results. Evan, why why hate the fact that you go in and out every week? I mean, that is basically a Wednesday fan. So, I mean, you're not really on your own in this. <laughs> Just embrace it. Embrace yeah, the fact. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. But, um, you know, if, if you're in and out for a, for an entire season, you might miss out on something big. So uh, it makes me nervous. Congratulations on your new job as Owl's Talk Forum moderator. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've long been a, a, a Carlos defender. I could have seen them making a move in the summer. You know, back the new manager with transfers, let him bring in his own players. I think now I was also Carlos out uh, after the uh, more after the Birmingham game really than the aforementioned Derby debacle. And this is something that's I think come up in our internal discussions in WhatsApp as well. It's just like who are they replacing him with at this point? Like, are you going to go and get Big Sam? I know it's the manager is out there that's going to get more out of the players, and I think there is sort of the among the English fan base, especially that idea that you need the grizzled old English manager that knows how to get out of that league, you know, like the Sam Allardyce, the Sean Dyche, the, I'm not even going to say Alan Pardew because God knows I don't want Alan Pardew, but, uh, you know, that kind of old Steve McLaren, that kind of... Steve McLaren kind of after a paper bag at the moment. Yeah, but that, that, kind, that kind of like arc, there's, it's an archetype though. It's not even necessarily who the specific name is. And I just no, I think that's fair. It's yeah, just, I think that's fair. But, but that's like, they went away from that specifically when they signed, uh, when they brought in Carlos, who was basically an unknown that had managed 11 clubs in 10 years or whatever it was. And I think the worst thing that happened to him was they finished sixth with that team in, you know, two years ago and got to a playoff final and that ratcheted up expectations very quickly. And there was progress last year. And they've started slowly again this year, which is certainly a problem. And it's a very, very weird division that I desperately want to be out of, as we all do. I just think, unless there's a clear candidate that you think can do a better job, and it's not, at times, the last two seasons, I think there was a, an issue of 
squad rotation for the purposes of squad rotation and Carlos not knowing exactly who his best 11 was. I don't think that's been the case this year. I think we've pretty much seen what the team should look like. It's you know a 4-4-2 diamond with Lee at the tip and you know Hooper and Fletcher up front with sort of Hooper dropping back at times a little bit deeper. And they've been very effective playing that way for the most part. Um, it just has been a little bit of fits and starts. I don't know how much you can blame that on the manager tactically. Um, there's certainly been, they've stunk out the joint on several occasions. Um, but they did that in years where they were in the playoffs too. They had some absolutely shocking results. You know, I think of certainly the the Charlton one going into the international break on a, on a long unbeaten streak when Charlton was bottom of the league. Well, I understand the tactical the tactical sense, but the the biggest issue for me in the first few months or first few weeks of the season has been just the the morale around the club. You know, we had the big fallout between Forestieri and, and Winall, and uh, you know, it just there've been matches where it doesn't seem like the club um, the club are happy, the the players are uh, getting on well with each other, and it just it hasn't seemed like they were playing to win and playing to play together. And uh, it, it just, it concerns me. And yeah, you score a couple goals against Leeds and all of a sudden everyone looks happy and everyone's excited running around hugging each other. But what happens if, if the next match we lose two nil and everyone's back to being glum, you know, it, I just, I'm concerned that, that there's just something not right. There's something needs to freshen up around the club. And I think that starts with the manager. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I love Carlos. I I wish him the best. I, I don't. You know, I don't know if. I hopefully everyone has been to the site and has read uh, the piece about um, us three, the board members, or us four board members, and why we we think in or out. Because I, I truly hate to say out because I love the guy. I just feel like something needs to change. I mean, it's the nature of the game now, isn't it? It's it, there's a certain amount of short termism is to be expected, and you know this has been. Carlos's longest stop as a coach by far I just right look it has to click at some point and I think the games coming off the international break are going to be key because outside of the outside of the derby match the schedule's reasonably soft and I think we'll know more then we're just kind of it feels like the Leeds game at this point was like a month ago it's been one of those kind of international breaks and when they don't have actual games to complain about the Wednesday I tend to just moan about whatever so I think you know our you know our fan base so well, Jeff. I, do, and I, yes. I think I think in many respects you, you you're really kind of summing up where 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 the problem probably lies. It's it's not necessarily with Carlos. I mean, I think Carlos bears definitive responsibility for the consistency of of performances, for his ability to lift the team in in key matches, and there's there's reasonable questions to answer there. But but really, where the antagonism comes in and, and where the pressure is creeping in is from the fan base, and it's it's the the lack of patience amongst our fans and the the fact that we can't go 10 days between games without finding something to moan about, which actually creates so much of a pressure cooker on the manager. Um, and it's not unrealistic. You know, we, we've committed to being a top two club this year. I think uh, Mr. Chancery is on record saying that that is the the, the very clear target for, for this season. So if it looks like we're not performing at top two and, and probably over the first 10, 11 games, we haven't necessarily been there. I think it's reasonable that questions are asked. And then if that is coupled with real antagonism from the fan base, you have to ask whether or not the manager is going to be able to get the best out of the players. But right now, I, th- I think all we can really look to is, is that last performance and the fact that we got a genuine reaction from the, from the team. They were definitely nervous in the first 20 minutes. I mean, Leeds were... Leeds had a number of chances. We looked, we looked weak uh, in in the back four in terms of of exposure to the through ball. In terms of uh, some of the chances that uh, that we allowed Sayers to to take, for example. Um, but but then the the you know the team really came into it and we got a reaction. So we we absolutely have to build on that on the other side of the break and and hopefully we can carry the fans with us. I'm staying quiet on the Carlos debate because uh, I uh, I also said he should go out after the Birmingham game. And I felt I feel really bad. I like I, mean, I didn't want to say that. Um, and after, after Leeds, you kind of left with a bit of egg in your face. And I have kind of backtracked on that now. I think it was reactionary to say uh, after the Derby game, I was there in Sheffield and Hillsborough for that game, and having witnessed that live and being mid bounce as that uh, third goal went in for the Blades, uh, I think I was feeling very emotional <laughs> that week, and as were most of the fans. And after the Birmingham washout, that was it. I was I was on my uh, on my last peg, I suppose. Uh, but 
the Leeds response was a response, and that's what you wanted. We wanted it a bit earlier than that. Um, but I think to beat Leeds by three goals, and it could have been probably seven, um, that is the response you want. And you, we've taken it into the international break now. People are starting to feel more positive. Uh, I'm definitely backing the Carlos in camp, and uh, I apologise for um, uh, breaking out of that from my emotions. Uh, but I think we push on now. We've got a very, very easy run of games coming up. I think if we win, I think there's four games coming up in October. If we win uh, three out of those four games, hopefully all four, we should be there or thereabouts and we'll get the momentum again to, uh, to make a push for that top two. Everyone in this league's inconsistent. Everyone in this league has bad games. It's one of the it's one of the most competitive leagues in the world. Um, and I haven't watched a team um, that's uh, been that much better than Wednesday this season. And I've seen a lot of championship games this year. Uh, there's some really inconsistency uh, amongst the uh, top six, especially. Um, so let's uh, all to play for still. And at the end of the day, if the results aren't there, this will sort itself out probably by Christmas or January, and we can reevaluate there. I just doesn't seem to me. I know Forestieri is his own issue, and with his injury, it's out of sight, out of mind right now. But I don't get the feeling that Carlos has lost the locker room or anything like that. They still go out there and they play for him. And, you know, I don't think it's sort of that, you know, chummy, all about the lads kind of relationship you you might get with some English managers. But I think there's, whenever you hear the players talk about him, I think there's a healthy respect there. They get it. Um, they all seem to enjoy playing uh, in the shirt. And that's all you can really ask for. Uh, the talent's there. We've seen it against Leeds. We saw it against Forest in a, in a couple other games this season. It's just a matter of getting on a run. And we, you know, we've seen this the last two seasons as well, where there have been fits and starts, and they've just you know, put it together for a 7, 8, 10-game stretch. And they need one of those soon is the thing, because realistically they have spent a lot of money, um, and the results have to come now. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, uh, especially on the money front. I wrote about that actually in my my Carlos out piece. Uh, we we've spent way more money on on forwards and goal scorers than than the other top teams in the league, and we've gotten a lot less out of that money. Like I said, I hate to change my mind, go back and forth and back and forth. If Carlos, you know, if the, in the next four games, or four matches, uh, we play well, you know, I, I'll change my mind once again. You know, we're, we're in 12th. We're only four points out of sixth. We're only nine points out of first. It's not like the the, the entire season's lost. So uh, I'm happy to sit back and relax. I'll give my opinion if it's asked, but uh, I'm not going to stand on the mountaintop and scream Carlos out. Uh, I really hope that he does well, and I'm always behind the team. I mean, I think the key thing is if, if you look at look back at that Leeds game, when, once Wednesday got their confidence back in, the quality of the football that we, we delivered. And actually, you know, you can go back. I, I was in Birmingham on the, uh, the the soaking wet night that Paddy was referring to. And, you know, I, frankly, one of the reasons why I think we all felt that we were getting close to breaking point after that res- result was because of the fan base reaction. And there was so much criticism of the performance. It was too slow. It, was, it wasn't producing enough clear chances. You watch that game back and you see the quality of the football that we produced, the, the control on the ball, the passing, the movement, the patience to, uh, to, to create opportunities. Yes, the execution let us down, but the talent is there in this squad. And if this squad builds confidence, and as we've seen before, when it goes on a run, when it, it turns win into win into five wins, six wins, you know, we could be in a really, really strong position by the end of the year. So so the next four games, as we've all said, are absolutely critical. And, and really, there should be no expectation other than trying to go for a clean sweep. Um, even Derby away, yes, they've... Uh, They've got a strong squad and a, and a good manager, but that's a, that's a winnable game, and and every one of the other fixtures in October is the same. And, and let me backtrack for just a second. We're actually only eight points out of first. So Very I said, important. I said nine initially. I, I, I know we're not supposed to actually look off. at the table until Christmas, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I will say to your point, Evan, on sort of the money. To uh, my editor picked up FIFA last year for the first time, and he knows I'm a big Sheffield Wednesday fan, so he decided mm-hmm. to play with Wednesday. And his like first comment to me was. Jeffrey, why do I have seven strikers on my team? <laughs> like, I need to sell some of these. Who should I sell? It's only, it's only six. We got rid of Winnell. Yeah, I think he ended up... Sort of. I forget who he ended up selling, but I think he ended up selling Winnell and somebody else, and he brought in Lascelles, I think, from Newcastle and ended up, like, winning the league. So just do that, and you're good to go. 
so that's your analysis for this week. There's, is, we're on the international break, so there's not a ton to talk about, and we're just starting this show in the middle. That's 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 right, Jeff, because nothing has happened on the international break, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. That there's count. no disappointments for football teams that maybe we all have a, an invested stake in. <laughs> we will get to all the embarrassing news in American soccer. But first, we're going to take a break and have another one of our American Owls explain how he became a Wednesday fan. We had some fun with Brian at the beginning of the show, but to be fair, he probably is, if you're out there listening in Sheffield or even over here in the States, the most well-known American Owl. So to get a little bit more insight into how he came to be a Wednesday fan, we're going to kick off our segment that will be a regular feature on the podcast called How I Became a Wednesday Fan. So Brian, tell us a little bit about your story. Well, my story begins with uh, the music. Um, just wanted to briefly say, you know, ever since I was a kid, I was very much a big fan of British culture and music. I was also a big, big fan of the band Pink Floyd, and they have they have an album called Metal, and on that album, they have a song called uh, Fearless, and on Fearless, it begins and ends with a recording of the uh, Liverpool Cop Choir, and when I heard that for the first time, I had I'd never heard anything like that before, so I was you know fascinated by that. So the first, the first, thing, the first thing you you heard of a kind of uh, football culture is a song on Pink Floyd. Is that right? Yeah. So he's like a, in, he's terms a cop- of, in terms of English football culture, we had on on public television briefly that one of the one of the stations used to show German football. Um, that was pretty cool. Although they they did have the commentary in German, so you really couldn't you know couldn't understand. Uh, it's pretty cool though. Saying, you, you heard you, you heard the cop singing. The game and stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. So, what year is that, Brian? Oh, this must have been mid late mid late seventies or so. Wow. And then okay. I had I had gotten a uh, gotten a hold of a, a shortwave radio, and with that, I used to listen to mostly listen to the the BBC World Service, and on there, John Peel, which of course you all you all know, he had a weekly half an hour show on there. And he started playing um, a bunch of bands from Sheffield, like um, Heaven Seventeen, The Human League, Massive, and, Massive Wednesday Night, and and yeah, I know. I didn't I didn't know that until recently when they, him and the guy from uh, Reverend and the Makers called up Football Heaven, and they were chastising all the people that were. That was that was really cool to hear that he was, you know, he's been a long term friend of the uh, pod, Reverend and the Makers, yeah, friend of the pod. <laughs> Um, I'm going. I'm going to gain about twenty thousand plugs for everyone the makers because they've been awesome to us. So uh, you'll hear them. Uh, are, you know, sure. and they they just put out a, a brand new album as well. So I don't know if you heard. I haven't heard any tracks from it yet. So I don't know if you. I have. It's great. Of course, it's great. It's everyone the makers. Go buy the album, kids. So, <laughs> so uh, Brian, you you're saying that the uh, the, the song um, from the from the Pink Floyd uh, kind of got you into the, the kind of the football culture. That was Liverpool. So what? So you said that the band from Sheffield kind of was the next step, yeah? Yeah, ma- the main band that I was into and still into was uh, the band Cabaret Voltaire. And when he he played that, when he, you have to understand, back in the late seventies, early eighties, there was nobody that sounded like them so i i became obsessed with them and then since i was into these other sheffield bands i got into the culture i guess of sheffield and i wanted to find out more about what was producing such you know unique music that i've never heard it i started listening to uh sports world well they called it back in that day they called it um the saturday special between nine o'clock and about one o'clock two o'clock my time and they would have the football. They would have uh, the build-up to games. They would have second-half commentary from you know the big match of the day. And the th- and then the first time I remember listening to the program, when they did the football results, the classified results, they said Sheffield Wednesday, and I was like, wow, that that's my team. That's who I'm going to support. I I already love Sheffield, and I'm you know I've gotten into football. 
And That's so awesome. that was the team that I decided to uh, to support. And uh, haven't were we any good back then? Were we, were we playing good football, or was it terrible? This was for my time. Um, sorry. That was the Howard. I believe it was the Howard. It might have been the very end of uh, Jackie Charlton's reign, but it was you know Howard Wilkinson era. So yeah, they did they did very well then, and then it was um, someone else who lasted for like three months. And then after that, it was, of course, the uh, big Ron Atkinson era. So yeah, there were, you know, they were... It's not bad time to come into the club, really, is it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. James, I'm just going to bring you into this, because uh, I remember speaking to you when we first started talking about Owls Americas and bringing kind of the, not just the club to a kind of wider audience in America, but bringing the Sheffield culture. And how cool is it listening to Brian talk about Sheffield music that got him into Sheffield Wednesday? I mean... That's a pretty unique story, I think. You know, that's absolutely awesome. And it's the, we've made this really important point that we think that Wednesday represents a culture which we really want to connect with more people in America. Um, So the fact, Brian, that you found Wednesday through Sheffield culture, I'd love to know what it was about the music that spoke to you. What was it that kind of appealed that was different that you said you hadn't heard before? You know, especially especially with a band like like Cabaret Voltaire and having already been listening to Pink Floyd and especially you know, their their pre dark side of the of the moon stuff, a lot of it was pretty much, you know, left field, very experimental, very open, very um inventive. So I had gotten, you know, a a great taste for that versus a lot of the the terrible pop music um of that era. So having had a taste for something that was very different and inventive and and very experimental i guess brian you had no idea that when you were listening to these bands that they were all uh they were all formative wednesday nights as well so that you know people like martin ware for example who are out there making music that you were t- tuning into were actually big wednesday fans i wish i had known all along that he was, was a wednesday yet but it's a, it's you know it, it's pretty cool knowing now that he is and uh also the other musicians that that haven't and are uh Wednesday supporters. Have you, ever, have you ever spoken to Martin before? Martin Ware, uh, Banks. We, we've spoken to Martin Ware on Twitter a few times. He's, we've had a few bit backs and forth. I think we need to bring like a, a kind of like a, uh, a meetup on the podcast where you get to meet and speak to the legend that introduced you to Sheffield Wednesday, Martin Ware. Yeah, that we'll, would, we'll, that we'll would make be, it happen. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. Being being a Wednesday night this far away, you haven't said much about where you're based in the U.S. and and have you managed to kind of spread the Wednesday message to folks who uh, who live near you, family and friends? Uh, well, I live in uh, Roebling, New Jersey, which uh, is officially South Jersey. Um, I've been living in New Jersey all my life. Brian, have you ever been to the the Jersey town called Hillsborough before? I have. I used to have a girlfriend a long time ago that that lived there. So yeah, it's very very nice town. You had a girlfriend that lived in Hillsborough. Did you just go out with her for the part that she lived in Hillsborough? <laughs> no, that was a coincidence. But yeah, it's a very nice town. Very getting very um, very built up and very overcrowded. But yeah, it's very 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 nice town. We need to do a road trip there, guys. Very hoity toity. I, I don't know, Paddy. I've had a girlfriend that uh, that lives in Hillsborough for about thirty years, and she's been abusive to me the whole time. <laughs> So, uh, Brian, I think we've got to kind of wrap this up a little bit, um, but thanks so much for joining us. Um, we have just got one last thing. Um, we've spoke about football heaven and praise and grumble, and uh, uh, we know you're a regular caller in, but a lot of people listening to this might not have actually ever listened to football heaven or praise and grumble. Can you just very quickly tell us what the kind of essence is of football heaven and, and why people should call into it? The, the main thing about football heaven, which is uh, Monday through Friday, it's it, is on one o'clock our time if you're on the east coast of the united states it comes on a, a it runs from 1 p.m to 2 p.m monday through friday the cool thing about that is anyone who supports football uh from anywhere in the world can call up and talk about their team it doesn't have to be uh a a south yorkshire based team they also encourage people that who support other teams to call in but it, for the most part, it is uh, owls and, and blunts who call in. Oh, the way you say blunts cool. with such disdain. You've you really, <laughs> you really got that Yorkshire kind of disdain of blunts. 
down to down I, to for I someone that lives love, in southern New Jersey doing really well with that. <laughs> It cracks me up all the time seeing, seeing the blunts and referring to their their ground as as the stain. It just makes me laugh um, <laughs> all the time. Have um, you ever heard of the uh, praise and grumble song? Not the one on Football Heaven. There was a uh, James might know what was where it was from. It was from the '93 Cup final, was it or the '91? Not the '1991 Rumblers Cup final. And it, uh, Paddy, your uh, your lack of knowledge is still utterly bamboozling me. I have no idea right. how you've not been exposed to this in your. So I've got through my. Year. My Wednesday fandom without ever hearing this song, right? And uh, it's based on uh, Praise and Grumble, which is the Football Heaven kind of uh, theme. Uh, and we're going to finish this uh, little bit of a section and interview and say thank you to Brian. Cheers, mate, for coming. We'll have to catch up some beers too in New York or New Jersey. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, been, it's been a pleasure. Great for Wednesday. Praise for Wednesday. Great performance. Praise for. It's the praise of Sheffield Wednesday. Praise and Grumble. Praise wrap things up with any other business and we do have some dispatches from american soccer this week and i'm gonna say it was an embarrassing week for united states soccer because alex morgan got caught drunk at epcot center that is the most embarrassing <laughs> oh. thing to happen you know what soccer oh. hey, I, I must i must say that she might be the luckiest woman in the united states at this point because if that happens on any other week, people talk about that for a month straight. But she is so lucky that our team stunk at Trinidad and Tobago <laughs> that everyone has forgotten about her until they've listened to this podcast. I will say I that about her. she's my hero. She's an actual hero. I mean, the the getting drunk at Epcot, if everyone knows Epcot in Disney World, it's basically a, uh, a around-the-world kind of like experience. And there's a very famous bar crawl you can do. Uh, which you're supposed to take a drink at every bar around the world, Epcot. It's one of the rare Disney uh, parks that you can drink at. And Alex Morgan, take my hat off to her, because she had a go at it and was escorted out of the park by security for being drunk and leery. So I'm all for that behavior. I will say anyone that has not done the drink around the world at Epcot and then thrown up on the It's a Small World ride, cast the first stone. <laughs> So my problem with this is not even like a good, like it wouldn't even register on the radar for famous British soccer drinking stories. Of course it wouldn't, no. I mean, I'm sure Wayne Rooney's at Cot right now getting pissed on the international break. I mean, you know, like a and, stag party, like in the middle of an internet, like in between international games or something at some point, wasn't that a scandal? Stag party or shagging granny is one of the two possible <laughs> things. I mean, unless there's like a, I mean, to be fair, Florida is probably right at Wayne Rooney's street at the end of the day, isn't it? It's mainly retirees. So I'm, I bet he's there right now on international break. Nothing else to do nowadays. Doesn't like England, does he? We do have now, uh, slightly I, more liberal slander laws here in the U.S. At least. <laughs> <laughs> now I, I, I do have to ask on the, on the topic of on the topic of Wayne Rooney. I do have to ask. Um, did I read correctly that when he was pulled over for drink driving, we call it drunk driving here. You call it drink driving in England. Um, when he was pulled over, was he in a Volkswagen Beetle? Is, is there is there a difference? Allegedly, there? just to allegedly. clarify, drink versus drunk. Um, it, probably not. I think that it just sounds funny to the American fan that might be listening. Drink driving is not a problem if you're driving and drinking. It's like, that's, it's like that's the present. It's the present tense, isn't it? Like you're still drinking while like, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah. driving. You haven't yet reached drunk. <laughs> but but back to the question: Was he in a Volkswagen Beetle? <laughs> I don't know. Is 
allegedly. Was it his wife's? Was it his wife's beetle? It was not his wife's beetle, allegedly. <laughs> Wait, hey, hey, hey. Well, this is uh, masterful deflection from what I'm sure was <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. a tremendous performance in Trinidad and Tobago. Just, actually, it. actually, it's a it's a great segue. You know, it's an embarrassing car to be caught in, to an embarrassing performance in Trinidad and Tobago, and just overall in World Cup qualifying. So, go on. Do you want to uh, break it down for us? I mean, it was, it was. I mean, I watched the last half an hour of it. It looked like the U.S. players had been drugged. There was. They were just wandering around aimlessly on the pitch. Uh, I have no idea what was going on. There was no urgency. There was no accuracy. It was There was 30 people in the crowd watching it <laughs> who seemed not really that bothered until right at the end. Apparently, Saul Campbell is on the bench with Trinidad and Tobago. Is he, is he a coach something? It was just a weird situation. I found myself in at half past nine last night. Um, and all this other stuff was happening in the other games, which meant, obviously, if the US lost, then they went out. And sure enough, you guys did not disappoint. I will say yeah. that the it's almost impressive that you know Concacaf has designed a qualifying system that basically guarantees the U.S. and Mexico should make it every qualifying uh, term. And <laughs> in 2014, Mexico had to go to a playoff, and for 2018, the U.S. misses out. I mean, there's really no excuse when they brought in Bruce Arena and it became the you know the old boys MLS club. That shouldn't matter. They should still be able to. They should be able to start Chris Wondolowski every game and get through this hexagonal but it was my uh i mean there's just between the costa rica game and just sort of the the nattering around it like oh it there were too many costa rica fans there they need to have it's just like guys this is now you know 23 years on from the 94 team that sort of launched u.s soccer you know into the into the more of a national consciousness in this country and there's just been no clear improvement from those days i mean hey, at least it was like 94 when you're harking back to I mean, england got like 66 all the time <laughs> so you've got a few more years before you get disillusioned like no, we at are. least england never loses in qualifying no because we, we qualify for every single tournament <laughs> uh jeff as you well know but is, is that totally fair though i mean going back to 94 i mean um i'm gonna go back to 2014 all of four years ago right and um you know i was sat in a packed out crowd in union square in the afternoon uh, you know, I think the U.S. were playing Portugal at the time, and it was it, the the team was actually doing really well. You know, it was advancing beyond the group stages. There was a lot of positivity around the squad. I think there was a you know a semi final in the um in the, in the kind of the interim between uh, then and now. So so where's it all gone wrong in the last uh, the last six to twelve months for the U.S. I US mean, soccer fan? I think they wanted yeah. they wanted to play the same players, and a lot of them are just three years older, and a lot of them haven't progressed, and some of them have fallen out of favor with Arena for various and a sundry silly reason they have no, no interesting there's nothing like what is the u.s identity as a soccer team as a the way they like how do they want to play like what they well, need to do is build things around pulisic but i don't really know if they have the players to do that yet either well, yeah, you, is definitely basically, like <laughs> yeah you've basically said everything that i've said to anyone who's asked me this uh this question uh, today jeff and it's that first of all four years ago or three years ago when we played in the world cup uh we had a, a lot of great um i don't want to say young talent i want to say uh talent in their prime right and we've gone three years through qualifying with the exact same players okay so those players they've they've gotten older they've declined from their prime a couple of them have come up obviously pulisic is is uh, an incredible, incredible bright spot in in our in our squad and in our future, but we're still playing guys like Dempsey, like Michael Bradley and yeah, Beasley. Who's the player and, and that's a, gotten better in the last three years? That's the ex- exactly, exactly. So our problem is not only that we we tried to stick with what we had. Our problem is also that we've stuck with what we've had. We it's not worked, and now we have to go back to square one. And hope that we can figure things out in in three more years or four more years of qualifying. So, not only is this team just stunk throughout uh, this World Cup qualifier, we've got a long ways to go before we have a squad that's ready to qualify for 2020. Uh, excuse me, 2022. All right, Sheffield Wednesday news, guys. If we're still on the uh, any of those section, Sheffield Wednesday news. Uh, breaking Sheffield Wednesday news oh, is there? today. 
uh, Dapon Chansiri has asked the fans again for to ask him questions. So send questions through the website, uh, and he will answer as many as he possibly can. Now, my question here is, what is wrong with this man? Is he like, <laughs> why does he keep asking for this? This is like the third time this season he's had some kind of forum or kind of feedback thing. Uh, is he just, is he, is he, is he too open for his own good? Is he a bit kinky? Is he a bit cinematicist? Do you think he goes back home and gets someone to stamp on his balls and stilettos? I'm not sure what's going on. He just does not seem to like mind the abuse he gets. He just keeps going back for more. So in parallel to those uh, that that request for questions, there is also uh, the uh, the process underway in the background for the next steering committee meeting, which I think is uh, is going to take place in in the next few weeks. Uh, albeit with a slightly smaller audience, thankfully, than the one that took place earlier in the summer, where I think uh, many of us were still there till one o'clock in the morning. Um, I, th- I think you've got to commend the chairman here. I mean, you've you've got a chairman who is taking a lot of flack on social media. Um, there's I mean, somebody said earlier on that you know there's clearly a lot of things that are not right in the fan base right now, and he's opening himself up to to criticism. I, I mean, you know, the, the fans that are putting out there some pretty vicious commentary on social media, some of it exceptionally poorly punctuated, I might add. Um, you know, he's uh, he's definitely laying himself open to that that, uh, that critique and, and taking on board those questions, and I think that, that has to be commended. But by asking for more, aren't you just encouraging more moaning? If, if he didn't ask for this, people probably wouldn't pipe up again posting four-page questions on Twitter, which I saw earlier on today. Someone actually was writing in his notepad and then posting pictures of his notes because it was too long for a tweet. I mean, by opening up the forum again, you constantly For the record, Wednesday for fans should never be allowed to have 280 characters on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. imagine, imagine twice the amount of money you can fit into a tweet. Oh, my God. I, I quit Twitter. I just feel like if, I, I applaud his openness. I, I get it's coming from in the right place, but I just feel like you keep going back and you're going to get more and more abuse and just keeps this endless cycle of moaning. In the, today's I, world that's quite negative, uh, I feel like I've had enough. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested in Jeff and Evans' view on this because I think that, you know, the obvious, there's, there's a phrase back home, which is the proof is in the pudding, right? And it's one thing to take on board all the questions. And I, I stand by the fact that I think it's it's really admirable, the fact that he's taking on that, that questioning from the fan base. But what matters is the response. So, you know, do we respond in commercial terms, in terms of what's in the store, in terms of resolving the kit debate, in terms of the relationship between the fans and the club? And the only way in which we're going to know that is the way in which it feels to be a Wednesday fan and whether there's more harmony between the fans and the club than there perhaps is right now. Um, and I, I get the sense for, for those who are maybe a bit further away that that harmony doesn't feel quite right right now. To be fair, James, though, most of the questions will be literally about the quality of pudding you can get at the stadium. So he can dispatch of those pretty quickly, I feel like. Or cake balls. I mean, the quality of the proof in the cake can ball. Can we talk not... about the pies? No, the cake what? ball. Let's talk about the cake ball, okay? Have, what do they have? Cake? Hi, they, there's the cake available? What proof, what proof is in the cake ball? I, I, I think that it's great that, that he's open, that he listens to, to what people have to say. I think that it, it's good PR. Um it kind of helps us get behind him. You know, if, if we, if we're all shouting Carlos out, if we're all shouting, give us our jerseys uh, or our kits, excuse me. Um, like pardon, pardon my English. Yeah. Pardon my, my English take or, or American take. Um, if we're all shouting all of that, you know, at least our chairman is, is open and listens to what we have to say. So we love him no matter what. Uh, perhaps it's part of that. Um, but, yeah, I, I commend him. I think it's great. I think the uh, it, it was nice that James was able to attend the uh, the steering committee meeting uh, as a a member of Owls Americas. They were they were open to us being there, and we appreciate that. And uh, I appreciate Chancery and everything he's done for the club. So um, I think it's commendable. There is a match coming up this weekend. As the international break mercifully comes to an end. And Sheffield Wednesday heads to Bolton. And for our American listeners, we're going to try every week to have one or more of our expats explain a little bit about the the city or the location that Wednesday is playing in or the, or the city of the team that is coming to Hillsborough. What is the best Bolton equivalent you can come up with? James, take this, because I, I always be abusive. I can't really think of anything great about Bolton, so I, I think you should go ahead with something a bit more polite. So uh, so I said earlier on that I was sat in Boston, 
um, which is a, a complete fallacy and a, and, a, and a horrendous lie for the, the good people of Boston because I'm really sat in Cambridge, which is over the Charles River and, uh, and the seat of uh, inspirational academic uh, centers like Harvard and, and MIT, um, which is absolutely completely the polar opposite of Bolton. Uh, so uh, saying I was in Manchester would be probably quite offensive to the folks of Bolton, but saying I was in Bolton would also be offensive to the people of Manchester. So uh, so Bolton is basically a suburb of Manchester. It's um, it's best known for a glorified car park in which the Reebok Stadium sits. So I, I guess this would be kind of like re, you know going to an out of town retail park on the uh, on the outskirts of Philadelphia. Um, which my regional geography would say is Trenton, but I kind of know better than that because of state boundaries. So, um, yeah, Bol- Bolton's um, Bolton's not really somewhere that you want to travel to uh, at any point in time. It's somewhere you pass through, perhaps, if you're heading up to the Lake District in the northwest of England. Uh, but apparently 4,800 4, Wednesdayites are going to be there on uh, on Saturday, which is which is incredible considering that about 3,000 Wednesdayites went to see us lose at the League Cup uh, only a few weeks ago. So, um it's uh, it's a town that's punched way above its weight in the last few years in terms of uh, in terms of soccer. So uh, the the team made its way into the Premiership. It was very successful in the FA Cup for a few years, uh, mostly all on the back of a, a Unitedite named Kevin Davies. Um, but uh, yeah, the you know the the town of Bolton is pretty small. It's a suburb of a, a large conurbation which we all know as Manchester, and uh, and I think you may well know a couple of Manchester-based teams. So I'll leave it there. For the game itself, Bolton is currently sitting at the foot of the table. Uh, so three points, right? That's really got to happen this time. Three points after a Gary Medine hat-trick. That's what I'm going yeah. for. So we're in a 4-3 thriller. Um, that would no, right. more than double his goal total for the year, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Probably his championship goal total in history. But... Overall, we should be too strong for this team. They haven't won in six or seven games. I think they've lost six games on the chart, something stupid like that. I might be making that up. Um, either way, uh, it should be an easy win. And I think uh, it will kick off the uh, start of Wintober, I'm calling it. Wintober. Assuming they are fit, and I haven't seen any official announcement yet, I assume Carlos is going to do his regular media on Thursday. Would you put Leuven's and or Hutch straight back into the squad? Yes, next question. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think it's interesting. I, I, I think Leuven's for me, definitely yes. Um, and you know, I've been slightly controversial on the, on our WhatsApp chain because for me, I I would considering consider benching Tom Lees. Um, not not because I think that um, Joost Van Aken, who I always say the wrong way around, uh, Joost Van Aken. Is is necessarily you know inherently better than Tom Lees? I just think that Tom Lees and, and Van Aken both need a leader alongside them, and I think Van Aken stands to learn the most from having Leuven's alongside him. Um, I love his distribution from uh, from the back four when he's not under pressure. So, so Leuven's has to come in back in. I think it's a much harder argument with Hutch. Um, you know, Hutch definitely I don't think is going to be coming in match fit, match sharp. Um, I, he's he's perhaps somebody who I'd be looking at bringing on from the bench because I don't think that Dave Jones or, or perhaps Jacob Bucketfield as, as backup have necessarily done anything wrong in the last two three games. Uh, yeah, I probably to yeah I, I probably would agree with that Hutchinson, but um, I'd vehemently disagree about dropping Lee's. It's something that I feel like you deserve the wrath you got in the WhatsApp group. It was I mean Lee's is a different player with Lewins next to him. The defence is a different defence with Lewins next to him. Like I said, Lewins is not a better player than Van Aken, I don't believe, but he is a leader and we haven't got many leaders on that pitch at the moment. Uh, and he's an organizer too. Um I think Hutch is probably best suited for a different game. I don't think I think we can afford the luxury of not having a combative midfielder for the Bolton game. Uh, I think we, we can probably uh, pass them uh uh, silly in the midfield with uh, with either David Jones or Butterfield in that holding midfield role. Um, but uh, yeah, you're a, you're a madman. You can't drop Lees. People will be hounding you through the streets. But it's interesting because Lee, Lees actually gets away with quite a lot of mistakes. I mean, I'd, I'd point to the uh, the fourth goal at, uh, in, a, in a game that perhaps we've all conveniently forgotten about three weeks ago at Hillsborough where... Um, he pretty much headed the ball against Van Aken and and created the fourth uh, the fourth opening. So, you know, T- Tom Lees is a, is a great player. Definitely, when play, paired alongside Leuven's, he 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 really kind of comes into his own. But as a leader of the back four, I don't see it. And and therefore, you're making a trade off between him and and Van Aken to to step out. And the one thing that Van Aken has on his side is he's uh, he's left footed and he he has great distribution, better distribution than Lees from my point of view. I don't think it's absolutely necessary that Leuven's goes goes back into the squad. 
Though <laughs> Gary Medine is one center forward, he can probably match for pace at least. That's a gentle reacclimatization to the championship. I like that, Jeff. So this has been a semi, much like the 2017-18 Wednesday season so far. Uh, ups and downs, fits and starts, semi-successful pilot episode of the Owls AmeriCast. You can follow us on Twitter at Owls Americas. You can email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Patty, what are the meetups for this scintillating Bolton matchup this weekend? Hey, if you're in America this weekend, we've got uh, actually the Americas this weekend. We've got three meetups. Uh, you can meet up with the New York Owls in Manhattan at Football Factory at 10 a.m. You can meet up in New Orleans at, uh, what's the place called again? Finn McGill's. Finn, Finn McCool's. Finn McCool's. Yeah. There you go. Um, uh, you can also meet with Buenos Aires, uh, and they are still deciding where to meet up. So get hold of uh, uh, the Argentinian group on Twitter at SWFCARGENTINA, or just go into com, and our meetup section will give you all the details. Of course, our theme and bumper music is by the lovely Reverend and the Makers. And we'll see you again next week, probably, for another edition of the Owls AmeriCast.